the gypsy woman yeah. pointed out a finger <laughs> and said, Earthier. <laughs> And that's, and that's why it's, that is why it's notoriously broad. Oh, oh, Speaking oh, of broad, oh, hello audience. Dear. Hello. Are you all right? <laughs> Welcome to another fine edition, he says, having not recorded it yet, so it could go any which way, mm. of Big Damn Cast. I am one of your hosts, Man Full of Crisps. And I am Kate Mara's reshoot wig. Oh, floofy. <laughs> so, we've got some, uh, we've got, well, we've got the good, the bad, and the bullshit for you yes, this week. Yes, yes, we've yes. Uh, got some tidbits and news and trailers and whatnot from Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> Rick and Morty went on a standalone adventure to Atlantis with no consequences outside of that standalone adventure. We'll talk more about that later on. And uh, we also saw a movie each this week. And we're a little bit worse for wear because of it. So, hey, guess what? We're going to talk about that. But first, Matthew, delve into your sack like a summertime Santa. Yes. And pull out the first topic. The first thing we're going to talk about today. Is this your Santa voice? Yes, my Santa voice. You are um, never putting my, like, godsons on your lap. I'm going to put my presents under your tree. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the way um, your lip quivered while you were doing it. Oh, oh that's Lordy. what she said. Um, so... <laughs> As we've mentioned before, um, Hellboy is returning to our screens. Yes, he is. But not in Hellboy 3, with Guillermo del Toro, everyone's favourite Krampus, and uh, Ron Perlman. Um, This is a new version, directed by Neil Marshall and starring David Harbour. He of the large-faced sheriff in uh, Stranger Things as (laughs) Big Red pants. I'm not. That's what they call it, isn't it? Big old red pants. Probably. Big old red, red, red Big pants. old red sack. Um, big old green nips. He's just big red. Um, now, <laughs> I'm not down his acting ability. I think he's phenomenal. But do you think he was cast simply because he's like six foot five and has a strange face? He doesn't have a strange face. He's just a big face. Oh yeah. All right. Big um, face. A big old strange face. I'm a big face man. See, and I've got plans for Hollywood. I'm going to take out my storm with my big face. Um, what I love about that is you mound a cigar, which technically is perfect Hellboy in your secrecy. So yeah. maybe that is what happened. All about cigars. He walked into. Is it Warner Brothers, I think? He walked into their lot and I just went. Ha cha cha I'm here to play Hellboy, see? Uh, <laughs> it was always a new line. I don't know, I'll have a, a Gander. Um, I'll have a Gander. I've got him right here. Oh, have you? Oh, 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 no, he's Warner Brothers. No. That's the one next to Universal. it. Universal. Universal. Universal was the two films. Yeah. Universal, suitable for all. Um, <laughs> oh, please don't do that. Um, now we're in. <laughs> now it's deep in principal photography. We've got our first Fist deep. Yes, big red right hand deep <laughs> in principal photography. We've got our first look at David Harbour as well, the wow. Hell Boy, the Boy of Hell. The hellish child. He <laughs> looks fucking great. He looks so um, good. The first shot was this almost like, um, like, like sports, sports illustrated, like yeah. sexy, this like massive bare chest, like fire lit shot of what is very obviously going to be a prosthetic piece, but oh, yeah. all the same, it's like, damn, red, you fine. 
like muscles sculpted from marble and veins. Um, he's know, a big man because it's got to be sexy, but also he's weirdly fleshy. Big. Yes, um, big old fist at play, massive gun in the other hand. Yeah, um, hair, hair untied. It seems. Yeah, long shot. hair for this. Yeah, so no, no, no pony at the back. It mm. looks like he's got hair coming from. Like not too far off the back of his head, so yeah. he's not got the sort of the halo, the baldness halo that no. the Hellboy normally has. No, no. Um, but yeah, it looks pretty cool. And then you showed me just before this, I hadn't noticed that they put out another shot. Yeah, a tasteful black and white, tasteful black and white number with him in the coat, looking all. It's better lighting, so you can see more of the detail of his face. Still can't see um, him from the knee down. No, because I want to know, goat legs or nay? Which way are they going? He doesn't have goat legs. <clears throat> he should do. He has like. <laughs> Big old feet. He should but have he has smaller legs. legs than he has. Um, yeah, in the comics, like, he has sort of like quite scrawny legs. He's got yeah. like hooves, doesn't he? Like little clackers. Um, little clackers at the end of his feet. Sort of, little, yeah. Little, little, piggy, little piggy clackers. Yeah. Oh, little porcine clackers. He's kind, he's kind of got toes. He's clacking. He can't wear sandals because um, he clacks. I, I just want to say clackers. The clacks. Um, but yeah, he's... Uh, I got the clacks, boy. See? Oh, I got a big face and I got a clacky feet. I got some cream for that. Um, oh. And... Yeah, no, he looks great. A lot, a big criticism I, I've heard is that he looks a lot like Ron Perlman, but that's because Ron Perlman is, is Hellboy. He's yeah. actually Hellboy. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, Hellboy's facial features are very distinct. Yeah. The way his face is shaped, like the bigger upper lip, the broad, like strong chin, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. These are things that Ron Perlman has. And a like, lot of why that makeup worked so well for those two movies is because it wasn't exaggerating. His own features. Yeah. It was using his features to like make the character's face. And like a lot of <laughs> human, unlike a lot of comic book characters. Yeah. The thing with Hellboy is that he's got a very distinct look that hasn't really changed no. at all. He's been pretty damn consistent. Yeah. So give or take flaming horns sometimes, but like well, yeah, that, that but... face has never changed. The way no. the way his jaw is shaped and all that has always and been. The jacket and the hand, like it's all it's it, it is that is Hellboy. That's what he looks like. He's not got different costume designs. It's just that's Hellboy. You ain't getting action figure variants. Put it that way. No. No. So um, so yeah. Of yeah. course he looks <laughs> like. It. I mean, you can only put a big faced man in in so much makeup with without them beginning to look the same. Yeah, like it's a makeup <laughs> job. Like it's gonna look similar because it's the same character. Also, that's what Hellboy looks like, and he's looking fine. He looks fine. So sometime next year, I think, is when they pegged it for yeah, Hellboy: Rise of the Blood Queen by Jingo. Which, um, having now read the first nine volumes of Hellboy, I think they go in an interesting direction with it. So, huzzah! If it is what I think it is, we'll sh- we'll see. Now, in terms of going in a safe direction. So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Tomb Raider poster and trailer drop this week. Yeah, starring um, Alicia Vikander, who's wonderful. Yes, brilliant. She's where they store vibranium, don't you know? Oh, apparently so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she uh, she the poster's odd because it's the video game boring front cover, back to camera, head tilted over the shoulder, holding a weapon thing, and the poster says to me that they've gone, hey, you know the you know the climbing hook that she uses in in the first game of the reboot that's the best thing about it right because we're going to fully light it and it's going to be the main focus of the poster and I'm like I, I don't mean to be a traditionalist but when I think Tomb Raider I kind of think sunglasses 
the double guns, this the braided is, ponytail. This movie reboot is very much an adaptation of the video game reboot. It looks like yeah. it's taking elements from Tomb Raider and from Rise. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, there's the shots in the trailer, which we'll get into that as well. Like the shots in the trailer of, of like her clearly going through booby traps in tombs. Yeah. Which there's not as much of in that first game of the reboot, is there? The, sec- the second game yeah. plays on it more, but it, it's almost like they've gone right. See that game, do that, but throw in a bit of the old school thing everyone knows, just a sprinkle of it. The only, th- the only nod towards that I saw was the two guns. Moment. Yeah, the end. Where she's like, oh, I'll take two of them, and it's like, yay, like Lara used to do. Because at no point in the new ones does she have two guns. No. Old two guns McGee, they call her. Yeah. Well, the poster's odd. I mean, aside from the fact she also looks like she has a giraffe neck. Yeah, that's a, that's you know Photoshop posters. That's what that's the era we live in. Yeah. The poster's not particularly exciting, and then the trailer dropped. And I think the the best and worst thing that could be said about the trailer for my money is that it's fine. The trailer is also not particularly exciting. Yeah, although it... it's been listed by all the all the media outlets have been calling it epic. Nope. So the epic trailer for Tomb Raider, I'm like, cool, glad to see you all revised your press kit properly. Does not look that epic to me, It looks son. like... Do you know what it looks like? looks like a, a video game movie. It looks like... And I think we should all be woke enough by now. We should all be woke and swole, fam. <laughs> um, we should be so woke <laughs> right now. Because I know, I, know, I know we shook, but we should be woke. I'm down with the kids. Um, video game movies are not good. Period. Um, Some of them can be fun and entertaining, but none of them could be classed... <laughs> but none of them would ever be classed as, oh my god, that's one for the ages. Ever. No. And it, the main recurring problem with them, uh, that, that all of them share, is that the movie loses so much of why people love the game in the first place, which is personal experience. It's almost as if... It's almost as if yeah. games are an interactive medium that yeah. offer a level of narrative depth and interaction that can be adequately uh, provided by a more passive form of consuming art, like, say, movies. movies. Yeah. <laughs> so if you spend your life watching someone else play video games and you love doing that, and you absolutely adore that... Which can be fun. Which can be... It can be thought! Like, it's definitely fun. But like, if that's if, if you are delighted with that, and you've watched someone play Tomb Raider, maybe you'll enjoy the movie because you're like, oh shit, it's like that thing that I watched my friend do, or it's the thing that I watched those videos of. I, I experienced most of Rise of the Tomb Raider sitting next to my girlfriend on the couch while she played it. Same. Well, I missed her playing the main plot. Lou played it when I was away in theatre, so I watched her recently going back to it, mm-hmm. trying to do all the collectibles. That's boring as shit. Yeah, because there's no score when you're just exploring the area at all. It's that's like always good. Oh, is this fun? Well, our, our favourite our favorite game of 2017, Truck Racing, doesn't have a score in the races, so... <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> oh! Oh! Bad. Bad. Terrible. Bad. Bad. But a trophy sponge, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> yeah. It looks fine. And it that's his fine. biggest crime. It doesn't look exciting. It doesn't look unique. And they wait to the very end of the trailer to go, here's Nick Frost. He might be fun. It looks quite brown, isn't it? Yeah. It's very brown. The colour scheme of that first game and the reboot is very brown. Yeah. And the second one's more grey. And it looks like they've just gone, yeah, I'll do. And they're technically impressive, visually kind of dull. <laughs> mm. Both of them. What do you think same. of, uh, what sort of Shiva Kanda's natural accent? I think she's Swedish. 
Because she's gone for a very posh Lara. Which, that like, is Lara. Very though. posh Lara. That is Lara. But, but that's... See, I think that's why it was jarring me, because that's Lara Lara, not Reboot Lara. No, she's Re- pretty posh Reboot, in the reboot. Lara's quite subdued and also sounds like all of her lines are being read by someone who longs to die. Well, that, yeah, she is quite posh, though. I, I think that works. That's, that's consistent. Yeah, yeah. But yeah that, that, that made me think of the old... I hate saying old, because I prefer the original, like, version of the character but like, it made me think of the original Tomb Raider games rather she's than the reboot she's not that much of a character in his original PS1 games though is she? oh no no no, oh, no, no. for me like... for me like, I mean that incarnation but for me the the best example of those games was the PS2 slash 3 trilogy with uh, Keely Hawes okay yeah alright I can see that yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, the uh, legend if, if you want like, if you've never played Tomb Raider game and you want a genuinely decent experience legend anniversary in Underworld yeah and you play them in that order because le- legend was like just a Here's Tomb Raider as, like, James Bond-style big globetrotting story. Then you play Anniversary, which is a remake of the first one with an actual script properly and yeah. all this stuff that is made by the team who do... You know, the, the narrative, at least, is everything that is made. And the voice acting is the team who did Legend. It's the same engine as well. Same engine. And then the two of them have threads that follow through. In, so basically, it's the Indiana Jones trilogy. It's yeah. a story, a prequel, and then a sequel that ties elements of the other two together. But there's no yes. Sean Connery. Because Underworld is, is like, oh, here's the villain from this and here's the villain from that and their plan has involved their success and their success has done this and it's done this and here's your conclusion. Uh, they're amazing. And whenever, yes! Whenever I, whenever I like play a bit of them or watch Luke play those ones, I'm always like, these are like peak Tomb Raider. These are like when it's at its best. I played a little bit of Anniversary on the 360. Anniversary is pretty great. Underworld was affected slightly because the first, I think it was just the first Uncharted had come out by then. So there was yeah. a bit of feeling when they changed the control scheme around for Underworld that they were trying to be Uncharted. It was like, eh, no, I think you should have stuck to your guns, your double guns. And, and then the reboot and, actually is Uncharted. The reboot is Uncharted. <laughs> Girl Uncharted. Yeah, basically. Uncharted used to be called Boy Tomb Raider. No, that's and now the Tomb Raiders are called Girl Uncharted. It's, it's, it's got a more of a platforming focus and uh, upgrades and, and that kind of sort of exploration thing rather than just being a straight shooter with... And also terrible voice acting. So yes, yes, this artifact. Oh God, no! You know there were petitions when this movie was being put together to just cast the actress who plays her in the game. No, do not do that. If I wanted to watch and listen to a piece of wood, I could. I've got a wood burner outside. I could just pluck some up from the bottom and stare at it. They have tried their hardest to make Alicia Vikander look like the character model from the games, though. In this, yeah, it's uh, so. It's so. I almost wish they'd gone for their own look in a way just to just to differentiate um do you know what I mean take a bit more take a few more liberties with it like the Angela and Jolie version oh Oh, let's talk about something else (laughs) something (laughs) something that's had an effect on you yeah a a serious sort of Mm. I've not seen you be this sort of (laughs) Negative mm. about something for a bit for a bit of time actually. Mm. Mm. Um, not mm. that you're not negative about things. I mean, we trashed oh, the Dark a, Tower. I'm a negative but Nancy. There's, but, there's a venom yeah. to this that I've I've not seen in you for a while. Let's talk about Aaron Daranowski's new <laughs> Aaron Daranowski. Aaron Daranowski's. <laughs> uh, no, I like Aaron Daranowski. New to be honest. Fil- is it a film? Yes. Mother. 
Exclamation point. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Small line exclamation point. Herein be spoilers. Spoilers for I the... can't ah! discuss why this is a piece of shit unless I tell you why it's a piece of shit. Now... That's circular logic. Son. Son. Because that's the thing with mother. Mother. Don't squeeze your m- mother's milk into my microphone. Sorry, sorry. I'm just giving it a bit of flavour. It's beautiful in a way. Oh, creamy! It was a natural act. Creamy milk, yum yum. So, I'm going to ask you now, because you've not seen Mother. I've not seen Mother. I've not discussed it with you at all. Nope. As as yet. Uh, you don't mind spoilers, though, do you? I don't mind spoilers, because I've seen enough about it to be pretty sure that I'm not going to see it. <laughs> Especially okay. after your reaction. Uh, it has definitely polarised a lot of critics and audience. It's one of those where some high-end critics have really sort of gone on about how much they think it's wonderful and it's an artistic expression, a thrilling and gripping piece of cinema. A bunch of slightly more open and less artsy critics have been saying those people are talking bullshit. Bullshit! They're looking for meaning and yet when you ask them what meaning there is, they have nothing to say. Yeah. Um, and audience reactions have been like 80% across the board. This is a piece of shit. Yes. Now, a lot of that could be down to the marketing we'll look it up on being Matt. very misleading as to what the film actually is. Oh, that trailer we saw in front of it was fucking awful. Oh, it was horrible. It was like, the most shocking thing you'll then, ever there, see. There was another trailer that, me and, that, that we saw in front of Detroit, yeah. which had none of that voiceover shit in it, no. which tells you a lot about what, uh, of what studios think about horror audiences, I think. Yeah. Uh, here's your first spoiler. It's not a horror movie. No, I don't believe it. Here's your second spoiler. It's not a thriller. What is it then? Here's your third spoiler. What? It's a biblical allegory. Oh! Noah wasn't enough! That's the movie. So, based on the marketing, Mother looks like a really intense, creepy thriller movie in which Jennifer Lawrence is a young uh, wife doing up a house. Uh, Her husband, Javier Bardem, is a writer of some sort. And uh, they live out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And they get a visitor. And then the visitor's wife shows up. And then more people arrive. And their quiet sort of like lifestyle is slowly invaded by more and more people as the husband seems to be completely fine with it and the wife is the only one freaking out. Yeah. And then the trailer has a few shots of what looks like people walking with burning torches. No burning torches. There are people walking with flashlights through the field at one point. Mm. Um, and a few screams and intense noises. And the preview clips have been of awkward, creepy conversations between Michelle Pfeiffer's intruding female character Eesh. and Jennifer Lawrence's um, housewife character. Mother! <laughs> so you think it's a home invasion movie with possibly a cult thing going on? Uh, There's been yeah, a lot of comparisons yeah. during the marketing to Rosemary's Baby. The very last poster was trying to harken back to Rosemary's Literally, Baby. Literally, when, when, when we saw Detroit, we saw the trailer for it in front of Detroit, mm. my girlfriend leaned over me and said, It's Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. It ain't Rosemary's baby, but it's wearing... It's my baby! But it's wearing Rosemary's baby's flesh. Oh. It's pretending to be that. I mean, the last last poster was like a silhouette of the house on a flat landscape. Yeah. And her face, like, sort of uh, posed over it as the sunset and everything. The first... Now, do you remember the first poster? It was this beautifully illustrated, like, storybook-esque cover of, like, like, a forest... And Jennifer Lawrence stood there, all painted, hand-painted, in a gown, and she's holding a heart in her hand. And it was like, what is this? What the hell is this? Looks like quirky Oscar bait shit. What's going on here? Is this a drama? Is this a... What is it? Then the second poster was a again, painted picture of Javier Bardem sat in a chair, holding a, a um, circular, like, ball, which doesn't feature in the movie at all, but whatever. Um, and the lighter in the other hand, and 
he's surrounded by flames. It was like, okay. And then they gave up on those posters and it became the posters of like them in front, you know, cracked like glass sort of imagery and all this. Like, yeah. Mother, the most shocking film you'll see this year. Mother. Okay, so. Mother. Just to, just before you go on, it's yeah. currently sitting at 68%. On uh, Rotten Tomatoes with a forty-three percent audience score, oh, and it's very—I think it's quite rare, isn't it, that mm. the audience score is lower than the critic score? Yeah. Um, this is a very yeah. well-made movie. It looks beautiful. It's shot beautifully. Jennifer Lawrence gives a pretty solid central performance, despite yes. having a rather expressionless face. She does a lot of her emoting through her eyes, really. I get the sense more now than ever that Jennifer Lawrence just doesn't care. Oh, she's a cunt. Which, um, um, which she's taking a break. And I can say that so. because she's been proving it quite a lot. Oh. In stories she's been telling on chat shows and everything. Oh. She's not a nice person. Come at me, J-Law. Um, she will. <laughs> she'll throw a drink at you. Yeah, she will. And then she'll beat me up. And then she'll say, oh, I've got a funny story about a bar fight. Because that's what she did on Seth Meyers. Yay! Anyway, um... Jennifer Lawrence is fine in it. Like she does, there's some moments where you're like, "That's some really good acting by Jove," and then other moments where you're like, "Yeah, this is serviceable." Heavy Bardem is a fantastic actor, so good. Hmm. He's given some interesting stuff to do here, and he does it incredibly well. But it's almost like a waste of him in some scenes. Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris as the first visitors are, I think, the best performances in the movie. Because they they are what begins the creeping sense of dread. The first two thirds of this movie is unnerving because it's this yeah. quiet life with these two people. One of them doing up the house, the other trying to get the inspiration to. He's a poet who's had published works that people love and adore, and he's not written anything in a long time because he just can't find the inspiration. So they're in his childhood home, which was burned down. He lost it in ashes uh, years ago, and she has rebuilt it. Like, she's completely rebuilt it. She's still in the middle of plastering it and putting it all back together. Um, <clears throat> so it's this whole thing of, like, she's built me back up. Yeah. Like, the only thing that survived the fire was something... He doesn't know what, but this crystal that he's got that it seems like possibly something was, like, you know, burnt or whatever and crystallised. Yeah. And it's kind of a symbol of, like, this was the symbol of, like, rebirth and she is the one who rebuilt me. So like these, are the, uh, these are the two most important things in his life. You know what I mean? This crystal it keeps in his his office, and his wife. His um, his poetry isn't coming about. He's just not finding inspiration. She's being as encouraging as she can, but you can tell she's getting a bit frustrated. And then Ed Harris rocks up as a dude who thought it was a B and B, and he's not quite well. And he's a doctor, and he starts sharing stories with them, and it's inspiring. Uh, the writer he's getting inspired by it, so he yes. he offers for him to stay the night. And the guy's, like, coughing, he's quite unwell. And at one point, like... Uh, and she's unnerved. She's like, why have you just offered for him to... And he's like, well, he's not got anywhere to go tonight. It's, like, you know, middle of the morning. Like, let him stay. So they pull out the guest bed, and she goes up to bed. Middle of the night, he's coughing up. So she comes downstairs to find her husband cradling him. And, like, clutching yes. what seems to be a wound in his side. Uh, and he's cradling him over at the toilet. And he's like, give him some privacy, please. So she goes back upstairs. And then the next morning, um, they're all up. And she's like, is he okay? And he's like, yeah, it was fine. And she says, how are you feeling when Ed Harris comes in? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, okay, right. And then there's a knock at the door. And then Michelle Pfeiffer shows up, who's the guy's wife, who's come out to find him. And then she hangs around all day. And it seems like Javier Bardem's happy to have them around. He sort of says, they're inspiring me. They're giving me ideas. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
you know, I'm sort of feeling that, I'm feeling it flowing. I can't go put it into words yet, but I'm getting something from this. So then they stay and Jennifer Lawrence is getting pissed off about it. And the woman keeps asking her about like, why don't you have kids? Like, we have two kids. They're out, they're out there now and stuff. But like, we used to be like really fertile and ravenous with each other. And then we had the kids and it kind of stopped. But like now we're getting, you know, we're sexual beings again. Me and my husband, it's great. Why have you not had any kids yet? You know, like you're a good age and all this. And she's like, oh. and she figures out, oh, you want kids, don't you? But he doesn't want them. Okay, and Jennifer Lawrence is obviously like, will you back the fuck off? And by this point, I'm still enjoying it because it's creepy and unnerving because it's home invasion in a way that films don't tend to do. It's complicit, non-violent home invasion. Yeah. That's unnerving, right? Yeah. Uh, that's creepy. These people are just there yeah. in, your, in your kingdom. Um, so that's creepy. Then their sons show up and start arguing. Oh, Oh, sorry, just shortly before this, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was told to stay out of the office, but she keeps trying to look at the crystal. She keeps trying to go for it. Yeah. And then they hear a smash. And Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence go upstairs, and the, the couple are up there, and the crystals hit the floor, and they're apologising profusely. But he's, like, scooping up together, and he screams, tells them to get out. They go downstairs, and Jennifer Lawrence is trying to comfort a man, but he's obviously, like, emotionally distraught and, you know, scary, bellowing and crying. She goes downstairs to try and tell them to leave, but they've gone to the spare room and started shagging. She's like, fucking hell, do you know what I mean? She doesn't know what to do. And then their sons show up after uh-huh. Javier Bardem's blocked the office. Sons show up to argue about, like, the will and played by uh, Brian and Donald Gleeson. Yep. And they show up and start arguing and they're smacking each other around. And the father gets unwell and can't get involved. And Jennifer Lawrence is trying to get these two fighting men out of her house and he one of them smacks her to the side. And then he kills his brother. And he turns to her and he's like, oh my god, like, you saw it was an accident. She's like, oh god, leave me like, for it. So it's like, oh my god, this is terrifying. Like, this, this other thing, these creepy people and their horrible domestic has spilled into their house. And then she confronts Javier Bardem about them not having a baby. Why won't you fuck me, basically? Yeah. So in a moment of passion, in what you think is going to be an uncomfortable rape scene, quickly gets away from that because she's just... She, Let's loose. Like after all the stress and her obviously being like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. She goes, "Fuck it," and they have passionate world sex on the stairs. Nine months later, she's pregnant, and her impregnation and the idea that they created life after having witnessed death. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the evening of this brother dying, they all come back with more family members to mourn him and have drinks. And Javier Bardem said he's allowed them because they need this moment. So they all come in and she's freaking out and part of the house gets broken. Like there's a sink that's not braced and people keep sitting on it. She keeps telling them to get off it because she's walking around the house just basically telling people to get off shit. Stop touching shit. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. And someone sits on the thing and it breaks the sink and plumbing goes everywhere. And that's the night that they fuck. Um, But the idea of creating new life after mourning death, for some reason it hits him. The spark inspires him and he begins to work. And nine months into the pregnancy, he's finished like the book and specifically this one poem. And he shows it to her. She reads it. She breaks down. It's beautiful. It's the most affecting work he's ever done. And then his agent calls to say, it's great. Yeah, we're going to like start stuff today. And she's like, oh, you've already shown it to to your agent. He's like, yeah. So you you get the sense that she's like, hang on. I thought, yeah, I was your you see what's going on and then people start to show up to the house again fans waiting outside 
desperate for an autograph, desperate for a quote, coming through the field late at night, like that's the flashlight scene, people going toward the house, like coming in, they all want to talk to the poet, they need to meet the poet, they have to see him, his words mean so much to them, people start coming in through the back door because they need to use the bathroom while other people are outside and people start taking things and this is when the movie descends into utter chaos as a pregnant woman is trying to get people out of her house and then survive in the house as it escalates from like fanatics to people stealing stuff to almost religious praise going on as people are smearing the ink he used to write the poem onto others faces there's his publicist played by Kristen Wiig who's smiling the whole time and is absolutely delighted with the escalation of everything for some reason he's sort of buying into it and being like yes come in let me talk I've touched these people isn't this amazing and she's getting shoved around and knocked to the floor and she's smacking her stomach on the floor and she's throughout the film she's been having these uh, moments where she holds the wall and she can feel a beating heart and it sort of reassures her like I, so I guess the visual metaphor was like everything is right the house is happy I'm happy he's happy but the heart's been getting blacker and she's been feeling more and more sick and unwell and as this sequence escalates to people being imprisoned in other parts of the house and riot police and SWAT teams descending into it to try and clear everybody out only one of them notices her and tries to protect her before he's shot through the face and his jaw comes off and it's all horrific eventually after a bunch of horrible stuff happens she gets brought to the very top of the house. The staircase that has been established very firmly through the cinematography now looks very different. It's ascending right up to the office, which is now on the top floor instead of further down. She and he hide in the office as she goes into labour. She forces out the baby and then she won't let him touch it because she won't tell the people outside to go away. So for like three days she sits there eating the food that they've left at the door and eat, and holding her baby. And eventually she falls asleep and she wakes up as he's... And now we're going into really big spoilers here for the end of the film. She wakes up as he's taking the baby out to all the quiet people who are still in the house waiting to see the baby. And she comes out to see the baby being passed around. And the baby is being fucking held back and crowd surfed to the back of the room as people are all trying to touch the child of the poet, the great poet. And then the baby's neck snaps. And then by the time she gets to the far end of the room to recover her child, what is left is half of the corpse as people have begun to eat the baby because they want to have part of that life and part of his existence and part of his creation. Okay. And then she gets beaten up by them. They call her a whore and a, and a heretic and they start to smash the shit out of her. So she okay. gives up, grabs glass, starts stabbing motherfuckers left and right goes down to the basement hits the gas tank uses the lighter from earlier in the movie and blows everything to kingdom come in the rubble of the burnt up house Javier Bardem who was stood right next to her is completely undamaged she is a charred up human being he carries her up to the office he apologises that he didn't get it right he's so very sorry she said like I was never enough and he says no your love is I just need one more thing I need your love And in her dying moment, she goes, okay, like, you can have it. So he plunges his hands into her chest, pulls out her still beating heart. It stops beating. It crumbles away, and he's holding the crystal. He places it in the mount in the office, what's left of the office. Uh... Colour washes through the house, and the exact same establishing shot that opened the movie happens again, and a different woman sits up in the bed, Uh... and the credits roll. The credits spelled it... I mean, obviously, by this point, me and Lou were watching it, we went, we figured out what the fuck's going on here. Yeah. But the credits spelled it out. The characters' names are all simply, for example, Ed Harris is man. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is woman. Uh, I don't think they're called this, but, you know, well, I'll get into it in a second. But Jennifer Lawrence is called mother. 
all these characters are lowercase. Yeah, yeah. Javier Bardem is called him with a capital H. Yeah. Darren Aronofsky has basically gone. Do you know what'd be really fucked up uh... if we just told the story of God, but as a home invasion cult movie? But then it turns out it is God at the end. Okay, so there is nothing wrong with taking inspiration from a topic and using it to fuel your story. But when you get to the end of it and go, so what was the point? It's kind of stupid. Yeah. This is a movie that AS film students are going to have to look at for their course in three or four years' time. Yeah, I can already hear this, the sound of... of media studies teachers bringing themselves to a riotous climax at the at the idea of all the symbolism in this movie. She's Mother Earth. Yeah. He's God. Yeah. Mother Earth is defiled and her sanctity is completely destroyed by God's people. Over time. They waste her away. First we have man. Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. He's Adam. When he's sick that night, we briefly see an injury on his side that's never brought up again. Right about where his ribs are. The next morning, Michelle Pfeiffer turns up woman yeah uh... they are tempted by the thing in the office they uh... break it and incur god's wrath they are eventually evicted from the house before their sons cain and abel show up and one kills the uh... other it's the old testament and then it moves into the new testament once the pregnancy occurs because oh, we have the, we have the son of god and then people eat the body of christ yeah? Mm. Yeah. This is a movie that's been marketed as a horror film. Now, there is horrifying imagery in this film. Sounds it, yeah. Horrifying imagery in this film. And again, visually, and especially the sound design, this is spectacular from that point of view. Yeah. But you come out of it going, and? <laughs> and? The only people who will get something from it are academics looking for deeper meaning. Yeah. Or people who, whether they are religious or not, know the Bible from cover to cover. Yeah. And even then, I think they'll go, right, well, that was horrible. Like, people of faith aren't going to go, yes, you're right. They're going to go, why did you fucking do that? Mm. Now, I read some interviews afterwards. Darren Aronofsky, Jennifer Lawrence has been very open about what the film's about this past week yeah. since it's come out. She's been very openly discussing the plot and the characters' names. Um and I think she's doing that because she's realised people are going and thinking it's a horror. And she's like, oh, no, 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 it's not horror. It's not horror. Darren Aronofsky has basically been on the record saying, like, yeah, I I wanted to make a movie about Mother Nature and her mistreat people having mistreat Mother Nature. Yeah. And then I thought, well, what's the best way to tell the story of Mother Nature? Well, obviously, God created all things. So I want to tell the story of God and Mother Nature. So I decided to make them a couple. So basically, he's gone, I'm going to use the Bible as my structure. And then at the end, it's going to turn out that it basically it's an it's an alleg it's an allegory, it's it's a an, a fable without a meaning, because there is rebirth from the flames at the end. It all begins again, so there's no lesson to be taught. Yeah, yet. yeah. There's no lesson. It's not like stop ruining Mother Nature because the moment you get into that as a message, you're like because otherwise God will be upset. It's like right, hang on, hang on. Who are you pushing this to? Who is this for? Yeah. What. It's it's it's, it's it sounds like the cinematic equivalent of all those pictures on Facebook that are like people spend too much time on their phones. Here's a picture of people being enslaved by their phones, and it's like, but this is on Facebook. Like, yeah. Do you know what would have helped it a lot? Not casting Jennifer Lawrence in the main role. Why so? 
because I think without Katniss Everdeen on the poster, people wouldn't be looking at this in the way they have, which is, oh, pre-Halloween, horror release, Hollywood movie star, let's go see it. This is going to be scary. I think if you'd cast someone who, you know, with less of a profile, there would be well, more like of a smaller a... nose. I think there'd be less of an expectancy for this. I think people would be going and going, all right, let's see what this is about. Whereas instead everyone's going, Jennifer Lawrence and Harry Bardem in a horror, Rosemary Baby, fuck it, let's go see it. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's... uh, It's... uh, Hmm. uh, uh, uh. You've really sold me on the movie, Chris. I can't wait. I'm so glad I'm an Odeon Limitless user. (laughs) That's how I felt about Dark Tower. Yeah, I mean, like, this week alone, um, we're going to see it again tonight. Yeah, because it's fucking great. Um, Are you free Friday night? I'm just asking you out the date of the podcast. I am. If you guys are free Friday night, let's Kingsman it up. Is it out on Friday? Yeah. Oh, 20, uh, 20th is out today. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. Alright. Um, but yeah, so uh, I will have seen two other movies this week and I'm sure I'll have a much better time. I know I'm going to for one of them and I hope I will for the other. Yeah, sounds good. But, uh, yeah, so like, I, I saw this because we were like, should we check it out? Screw it. We're limitless. Check it out. We're limitless members. Let's. We've got the option, Kez. Yeah. So let's go and see it. Um, yeah. Fucking hell. It's it's like if an after-school special got David Lynch drunk and told him to commit violent acts. Interesting. Yeah. You sold it to me. Yeah. And the thing is, I've never seen Black Swan, and now I don't want to see it. Black Swan's great. Sure it is. Don't want to see it. So I'll be re- I'll be trying to read into it now. It doesn't sound like it's got any of the bullshit that's in Mother in it. Oh god. Oh god. He nearly did. Wol- he nearly did the Wolverine. He nearly didn't he? did the Wolverine. Oh my god. Um, well, he didn't. <laughs> no, no. He left oh. terrible comic book adaptations to other people. <laughs> so, oh, smooth as molasses. I finally watched a movie that came out a couple of years ago now. Aye. Um. Uh, those who've been following the Big Damn blog will know I've been I've been a bit on a bit of a fantastic four kick recently. Fantastic four. Don't need no more. Um, <laughs> so I promise whenever I sing that, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yes. Uh, so I, did, what what I possessed watched... you to watch Fantastic this week? Was it because of the blog? Uh, BigDamnBlog.tumblr.com Was it because of your Fantastic Four Adventures? But also, because since it popped up on Netflix, my girlfriend, who has already seen it, oh, was like, man. you should watch it. What's wrong with it? Because it's terrible. <laughs> like, why does she want to go into it again? Well, and I was she like, to share pain. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I should, I'm going to have to watch that because I need to know how bad it is. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you should. And I eventually caved a couple of nights back. And, um... It is... The most... Visually dull, <laughs> poorly written, disastrously miscast, oh, man. um, mi- like b- by badly paced pieces of fucking trash <laughs> I have seen in a long time. Like it's not like <laughs> it is a movie. Like it has. I trying to find the words. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, but none of those things are interesting. Do they happen in the right order? <laughs> yes. But with actual huge gaps between them. Like a prologue scene when Reed is like nine, and then it skips 
to what, ten years later. Don't try and convince me that fucking Jamie Bell and Miles Seller are high school. Don't try and give me that bullshit. I don't believe it for a fucking second. Jamie Bell was the the once and future Billy Elliot. Yeah. So we've seen him as a kid. We've seen him as a kid. We know that he's not that old. He's in his twenties, right? Yeah, he's not old. He looks older. He's got an older face, hasn't he? He's, he's late. He's in his late twenties. I yeah, shot this. But he's got that kind of almost stern expression. I mean, look up he, the he, age do, he does the look old. He does look older. You got away with that in Tintin because he was performance captured. So they're trying to sell these as high schoolers, right? Mm. You could you could visually sell Miles Teller as a high schooler. I think uh, he's a he's college got, he's student. Got that, he's got that soft expression. That he's soft a college face. student in Whiplash, which was a couple of years before this. Yeah, and that he's was... also apparently a massive twat as well. Uh, I couldn't speak as to that. I know that I know that he didn't get on with Josh Trank, which is who also could be a massive who, twat. Apparently. Who directed this? Who apparently <laughs> who directed most of this? He was he was he was <laughs> he but. Josh Trank pushed for Miles Teller against the studio's wishes oh and then God. didn't get on with him on set. <laughs> um, Miles Teller was 28 when this came out. Right. Michael B. Jordan was 28 when this came out. Yeah. Kate Mara was shit when 32 this came out. when this came out. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And Jamie Bell was 29 when this came out. Okay. So they were all at least 10 years too old for their character. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, assume Miles Teller was supposed to be, Reed was supposed to be a um, college freshman, college no, uh, high school senior, high school senior. Oh, okay. Well, that's the thing. Like, <coughs> why make them high school kids then? College um, kids? Because okay, it, when they first announced the cast, because Ultimate Fantastic, it seemed 4. like they were leaning toward Ultimate Fantastic Four. But here's yeah. the thing: Ultimate Fantastic Four is not Ultimate Spider-Man. It's not Volume One or Two of the Ultimates. It's it's not a book that people go, hey, that book, that was the shit. They go, hey, that book, that was all right. Also, Fantastic it, Four was not very good. Plus, the other version... It also suffered from having Greg Land draw huge chunks of it. God, yeah. Plus, the other thing with the... The, the last time they did Young Fantastic Four was the animated series they did off the back of Rise of the Silver Surfer. Which I've not seen. That film? Or the animated series? The series. I've seen the film. Oh, sorry. I mean, although now that is not the Fant- worst Fantastic yeah. Four Fantastic movie anymore. Four and Rise of the Silver Surfer are a fucking cut above <laughs> this this piece of shit. There's stuff, there's pleasures to be had in Fantastic Four and Rise of the Silver Surfer, namely Michael Chiklis and Michael Chiklis's yes. suit and Chris Evans as the Human Torch and Stanley some goofy fun stuff. Stanley cameo. There's no Stanley cameo in this. Good. I don't want him near he, this horrible he, thing. Not due to scheduling. Not due to anything. He declined a cameo. Do you think he'd heard about the attitudes for, fan, for Fantastic Four? Yeah, the series that he co-created with Jack Kirby he, that kicked off the, the entire Marvel the superhero baby universe, that birthed everything, and he declined a cameo. He's exec producer credit, isn't he? But it's, it's more Mark. Uh, I think. I think it's just. Um, I think it's. Because sometimes he is. Yeah, he's exact producer. <clears throat> but it's more a case of um, um, financing and marquee more than anything. But I mean, it's just it's just a mess. The whole yeah. film, the whole film's a mess. There's like clear differentiation between reshoots and original footage because of Kate Mara's wig. Um, it's but there's no there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to what was reshot and why. Mm. Like. There's stuff in the reshoots that is essential for the plot to move, but then I'm not sure what it's replacing. Now, the reshoots was <coughs> was a mix, wasn't it? Because 
Was Josh Trank fired before the Apparently reshoots? Apparently, he was, he was fired before the reshoots, yes. Right. Um, but it's a bit more murky because all the time, you don't know what's going on. Well, here's, here's the thing. One day we'll find out, and it will be fascinating. But to now, we only have speculation. We um, know that it. We know that from Josh Trank's point of view, the studio forced a lot of I'll stuff. Tell you what. But then, since stories have come out about Josh Trank being an impossible person to deal with, I think it. I think it's a mix. I think Trank was difficult, and the actors were difficult, and it didn't quite work out between all of that. Plus, a script that was, you know, doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm. They took the Fantastic Four and went in because that's the thing. They went in with the aim to make a Cronenberg esque body horror. That's what they wanted yeah, to make. Which... With Marvel's first family. The colourful, bold, Kirby-esque madness. Like, when we were watching it, I pulled out... Because I've got uh, The Coming of Galactus yeah. on my shelf. I pulled that out and looked at my girlfriend and was like, and opened it up and like, look at this! <laughs> look at this fucking bonkers nonsense that's brilliant! <laughs> look at all these bright technicolours and fucking Reed Richards journeying into fucking photo-referenced cosmic madness that, yeah. and the Fantastic Four riding a jet motorcycle that looks like it's entirely made out of plumbing supplies! This is fucking excellent! It's, it's the, awesome! It is the world's greatest comic magazine! It is! That's the official subtitle and, of that comic Oh, book. man, but I, no, this, is, this is some of the weird <laughs> shit. And right. yet they went, let's make a horror movie about body horror. Like, right. What? So, this is Josh Trank's second feature film. Yes, after a Chronicle. Yeah. Sorry, I'll start again. After Chronicle, after Chronicle, which is very good. Which is very good. Chronicle is very good. Yep. Um, it's a very low-key so, movie with a, with a grand scope. This is, And a lot of this is hearsay, what I'm about to say, because it's not been confirmed for obvious reasons. But Take all um, of this with a handful of salt. Well, not all of it, because some of it is factual. Take As all in, of this... With two, um, what's it, uh, Alka-Seltzers. For example. And a pinch of salt. The cast. <clears throat> yes. Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. Mm-hmm. Great casting. Mm. Yes, he's black. So, in terms of nailing the character, yeah. from his work on Chronicle, we can see how he could do a good Johnny Storm. And I mean, this entire project was built around Josh Trank going, okay, Michael B. Jordan is Johnny Storm. Yeah. That was in place before anything else. Is before can, this movie was even he can play. He can play a young hothead with an arrogant attitude but yeah. a heart of gold. Like, he can do it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and I think, I believe that, because everyone's like, well, how do we explain? Like, Suze White, how do they explain? Like, A, you're in the 21st century. You're telling me you don't see things being, excuse the term, not just simply black and white in the real yeah. world. Uh, and in the film, is there a throwaway basically reference to one... Uh, yeah, apparently... Sue's adopted. Yeah, she's adopted from yeah. Kosovo. Oh, that's an odd detail, but She still. doesn't have an accent, apart yeah. from when she does even want... When she's taking the piss out of Rita one moment. <clears throat> and it's never brought up again. Right. But, again, there you go. Like, people were complaining they could have just said back in the day to salvage the complaints. Yeah. Yeah, Sue's adopted. There's a line about it. But she grew up... She grew up a storm. She is a storm. Kate Mara's terrible in this. Can I, can I say something? What? I've never seen her in anything where I thought she was great. She's great in House of Cards, and she's okay. good in the first season of American Horror Story. Uh, yeah, I just don't like that show, but okay, um, fair enough. Fair um, I'll have to watch House of Cards. She's fucking awful in this. Um, I don't understand why they had... Other than, like, she's blonde in the comics, I don't... I mean, they did the same thing with Jessica Alba, because Jessica Alba's, like, um, Latina. Mm. And then they dyed her hair blonde, and it looked fucking weird in, yes. the, in, the, other, in the older movies. And this is like, oh, well, Sue Storm's blonde, so she's got white, but we've got a black Michael B. Jordan. Oh, we'll just cast someone and make it a doctor. Rather than just, like, having a black Sue Storm, which yeah. would have been fine. Yeah. 
Um, they do try and give her a bit more of like a, a more to do in a sciencey aspect, but then when they go on the mission in through the teleport or which gives them the powers, she doesn't go with them on the mission and just gets caught in the blast from the accident that she's bringing them back. So... Now, do they try and get around it by saying she doesn't go because like her skill is particularly no, she doesn't go because um, she's sensible think... and doesn't get drunk and decides to literally call that's why. So she yeah. doesn't. Oh god. Because what happens okay, is they all they all. It go... would have been more interesting had she also got drunk. They all like, go. Fuck it, let's do. Also, though, hang on. That's why they go. Yeah. Right. So this is where the ultimate Fantastic Four inspiration comes through. It's not cosmic rays. No, they, it's the negative it's, zone. It's like a, te- a teleporter experiment, and they discover that it goes <laughs> to the negative zone. And they, don't call they, call, it, they, call, they call them like the end zone. They call it Planet right? Zero in this. Fuck right off. Um, okay. So, so they say, see, they are they have travelled through space. They demonstrate, they get the <laughs> technology working, then they demonstrate it with a chimp for like the investors, and the investors are like, great, awesome, it's working. We'll bring NASA on. Uh, so they can, and they're like, why are you bringing NASA on? Well, so they can get astronauts to go through it. But at this point. Um, Franklin Storm has already promised the team that they're going to be the ones to go through. Yeah. So they're like, uh, what? Especially Victor Von Doom. <laughs> yeah, now, is... now he's called Victor Von Doom. He is called Victor Von Does Doom. Does that mean that he's of some kind of royal heritage and quite possibly, say, an aristocratic he character? Is... He is. He comes from a long family lineage of royals, maybe? He is Latvarian. Yeah, okay, cool. Right, that uh, exists. And he does have a family crest thing in his, in his room. Cool, but he is okay. otherwise a sort of slovenly, like misanthropic computer genius prick who called von doom at one point he's like being like pessimistic and and misanthropic about like oh well the the human race has got no future we've already destroyed this planet and 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 kate varity i can already predict what's about to be said dr doom over here which doesn't make sense no no, nope. that doesn't make sense. He's not a doctor, no, um, but also that doesn't make sense unless you're referencing Doctor Doom. Yeah, like well, his name's Von Doom. That's like I know, I know, but that's just fucking that. That'd be like you saying like Sorry, yeah. that'd be like you saying, God, I fucking I'm gonna set something on fire, and me I and me responding with oh. Matthew Watson over here. I know, right? Do you know what I mean? Um, it's like, I got, you're not going to say like, oh, you know, freaking Ghost Rider over here. Oh, Human Torch over here. Oh, Pirate. I mean, even just, oh, Pyromaniac over it. Um, oh, God. Reed and... It would have been funny if she said like, oh, Doctor Doom and Gloom over here. Because then you go, ah, it's sort of a nod to the name, but it's also something people say. Um, but he's not a doctor. But anyway, yeah, that's, I'm talking about <laughs> casting it. I'm getting off and talk. So yeah, Sorry. the reason that Sue doesn't go through go through with them is because what happened to Danny is that, is that Victor and Reed and Johnny all get drunk. And then Reed calls up Ben, oh, God. who's his mate from our but who's kind of been left behind, but helped him with the original experiments before he got into this research program yeah. to come and and they go through the planet and there's this big green goo and it's never explained what this green lava is but then Victor Von Doom gets all caught in it and gets and gets sucked into the, the pool of it and then everyone else gets back in the, the pod and try to get back but um, Johnny's pod sets on fire and a bunch of rocks get into Ben's pod and you can't Close it and then it comes back and then and and, and then it's <laughs> and and a bunch of elastic bands land in. Reed well, you see pods. the you see the immediate aftermath of it and it's like Sue gets caught in the blast and she's sort of blinking in and out of visibility. Okay. Um, Johnny's just on fire. Yeah. Um, you can hear Ben's voice coming from a big pile of rocks saying that he's trapped. Yeah. And then you see Reed 
A lot of this is on the nose. Reed is trying to crawl towards Ben to help him, and then he like he looks back and he sees that his legs are still stuck under a girder, like twenty feet away. <laughs> so technically, his superpower should just be his middle stretches. Oh yeah, that should just be. No, it. his legs have stretched. Oh God's sake! Um, oh God's sake! But and then and then he blacks out, and then he wakes up in a research thing, yeah, and he's all stretched out on these gurneys, and then you kind of see where everyone is, and it explains how the powers work to you, and then Reed uses his stretching powers to escape and he sees Ben and Ben's like emerging from this rock cocoon mm. and he sees what Ben's become and he's like oh they know I've escaped I'll come back for you and then he fucks off into the he, he uses his stretching powers to escape and then it smash cuts to a year later oh. and Reed's been on the run for a year the thing that Ben Grimm, who's been nicknamed the thing, in uh, is being used as um, let me guess a weapon by the army. I was going to say military application. They're training uh, Sue and Johnny for the same thing. Johnny's up for it. Oh, by the way, they all have—they don't have costumes. They have containment suits because they can't control their powers. I mean, I've seen—I've seen versions. That, I mean, even the previous Fantastic Four movie sort of suggests that. Yeah. Uh, in the comics, they're molecularly attuned to be able yeah, to Yeah, they can control their powers. It's like, like Johnny can light on fire and the suit will yeah. remain, and Sue can go invisible and the suit will go invisible. With her and Reed's suit will stretch with him, and Ben's trunks will contain yeah. his big old orange rock cock. And like... Oh, yeah. Which no, he doesn't have in this. The thing is completely naked throughout all this and has no penis. Yeah, cool. So, poor, so what you're saying is... So in this version, it's this man, this monster, this lack of penis. Yeah. That's his true plight here. He can't piss, masturbate... Point at things and with his hands tied. No, he's got ready of this. Uh, Reed's been on the run and he's built himself his own containment suit because if he doesn't wear his own containment suit, he'll stretch out of control and like be all flop it. But apart from when he doesn't, i.e., when he escaped from the facility and was running away from it perfectly normal, and also later on when Doom breaks his contain breaks his containment suit and then he suddenly is able to control his powers without it. Uh... Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, and then so they have to bring Reed back into the fold so they can complete the teleportation thing and then they go back to the planet Zero and it, they find do, they find Victor all injured and limping and they bring him back to a year later facility. and he's all injured yeah yeah. instead but of you it, know he's, some, it, he's dead like, his, his, his like space suit containment suit is fused to his body so he's got like this is it all silver plastic, and green by any chance it's all silver and he's got green glowing eyes uh. and for, if somehow he's got this like dark green matted sort of hood and robe that I don't know what he's made it out of because there's fuck all on this place like primordial um, and he goes back to, he gets pulled back over to to earth and then he, he, he he's, but he's playing possum and once he get once he's in the sick bay he fucking destroys the thing and kills everyone and goes into the goes back into Planet Zero and he's like, I'm going to use this power to create a big blue beam in the sky and suck Earth into it and start all over again and I'm going to build my own world because I've got the powers of a god. Because he's got like weird telekinetic head explodey powers. He's basically got scanners. He can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever the scene needs him to do at the moment. He's like got telekinetics and he makes people head explode but then he just pushes against Fantastic Four and they go. And then... So he could just explode all four of their heads and win. Yeah, but he do. doesn't. And then the four use their powers together to, to defeat him in an action scene that lasts about five minutes, if that. It's really, really flat and then they get their own compound at the end um, and they're like... Trying to think up names for the group at the end. And then, what group? Like, and what then, group are they? And then... Um, oh, God. And the last lines of the movie 
are. So they're looking over this new facility they've got. And Ben's like, yeah, yeah, this is all fantastic. And you see Reed's prick up and he goes, wait, wait, I've got it. And he looks at everyone, cut to black. Let's have a look at some more of the stuff that went on in the triple production of this movie. Oh um, my god. Apparently Fox pulled several action set pieces from the script days before the start of filming. Um, Which seems like a stupid decision in general because it's meant to be a summer yeah. a, a, a summer blockbuster superhero movie. Yeah, there's next to no action in this film. Uh, apart from a five minute fight at there's the end. There's almost no action at all. Oh god. Um, it's, it's, apparently Fox were trying to push it as a darker and edgier take but the script was in constant flux. Track apparently had to deal with abrupt changes from from Fox production head Emma Watts. Uh, they gave it a hundred and twenty million budget. Trank thought he'd have a hundred and fifty million. Cut a bunch of scenes to save money, including a bunch of stuff that's in the trailers that isn't in the film, like the thing jumping out of a plane into a combat situation. Oh yeah. Um. Apparently, Trank was prone to erratic and isolated behaviour, including drug use and being late to set. Made constant changes to the script. Tended to sit in a tent in Video Village for almost the whole shoot. Abused the budget. Didn't know what story he was telling. Apparently, this was all because he was having a dispute with his landlord over perceived damage to his home in Baton Rouge. His dogs had fucked up a house. Yeah. yeah. Which apparently Trank addressed by defacing photos of the landlord's family after being threatened with eviction, which... Uh, after which a Fox executive had to fly out to apologise to the landlord. Um, also, he's just his sheer inexperience. He was let go from the second Star Wars spin-off. Oh, and my God. Yes, yeah, that, that, was, that was before this movie came out, wasn't it? It was announced that Josh yeah. Trankton talks of working with us on, and it's been revealed since it was a Boba Fett project. Yeah. And now since they've been like, that project's not currently happening Bef- anymore. Yeah. And also, Josh Trank isn't working with us anymore. <laughs> and Simon Kimberg. Yeah. Oh, notorious yeah. bum fiddler and but he's, all, he's also and, and dick waggler at a bunch of X-Men related things but he's also well. a Star Wars producer oh um, he, oh my god maybe he's in charge of the Han Solo movie he, well he's turned around and gone I don't want to work with Josh Trank again period that'll be the so Trank yeah. has Trank has tanked his tanked his career um, <laughs> Trank he bent over backwards to get into higher Miles Teller they didn't get along on the set and almost got into a fist fight so why did he why was he oh, and god. apparently hated Kate Mara for the sole reason that she was a, she was only cast because Fox wanted her to be cast in it. Right. Like Fox made her be Sue Storm. So there's um, a producer or a casting person there, someone who's like, we've talked to her about stuff. You put her in this. We're giving her a tent pole. Yeah. We're making it happen for because reasons that'll probably again never be known. As all all this started coming out around the time Marvel were like, yeah, fuck, we're not doing Fantastic Four anymore. And started cancelled the series and started pushing the characters yeah. off. Although the Marvel Two in One series, apparently the, the opening plot of it is the search for the Richards family, so they might be starting a comeback. Okay, um, but okay. that's that's another topic. Yeah, we'll get on um, that later. But yeah, um, the, the San Diego Comic Con stuff fell flat for that year. Um, they took <laughs> control of the movie away from Trank. Mm-hmm. Did their own reshoots in Los Angeles using body doubles and teller on a green screen. Oh, God. Apparently, they hired Drew Goddard, Simon Kimberg, and Matthew Vaughn to try and salvage the ending. The special effects director was fired without warning to the point where he quit the industry. <gasps> uh, somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes of the film were cut and replaced by the reshoot ending. Um, 
Hence the Kate Mara wig. And and the big action sequence. Yep. They Which took, wasn't there. They took... That's new. Yep. What? They took Final Cut away from Josh Trank. Um, and they got that infamous quote of him being like, a year ago I had a good Vernon's movie, it's a shame that no one will ever see it, tweet that went out the day the film was released. He apparently, Trank also emailed his staff and cast to congratulate him on finishing um, production and to, tried to turn around and say that it would be, it'd be better than most comic book movies. One cast member replied, I don't think so. They've not been um, so much cast member it is. No, it unnamed yeah. cast member. Um, and the initial inner screenings were <laughs> extremely negative. Mm. Um, the lowest um, Rotten Tomato score for a superhero movie since Catwoman. Oh, and God. bombed at the box office. Because again, word of mouth killed it. it word of mouth killed it, yeah. And all this destroyed stuff. it. I'm like, well, even like the other stuff, like when the photo, first photo was leaked of like the thing design. That maquette and, that was on yeah, set, yeah. And the uh, the Doctor Doom makeup design. Yeah. Which is like, just fucking horrible. Now, other tidbits I'm aware of is Toby Kebble signed on to play Doom in an earlier, much earlier version of the script where Doom was a traditional version of the character. Yeah. And then they and changed, then they changed, it changed to be like, stuff. And they changed his name, they made they, him like a hacker. Victor Domachev. Yeah. They had meetings with him and stuff, and he said that eventually when they told they described the angle they were going with, like, for the new take, they won me over. I was like, yeah. okay, because I was very resilient to, no, I want to play, like, this big supervillain. Fucking Doctor Doom is Doctor Yeah, I think, I, I, no, <sighs> one, no wonder Kebble, like, fucking gave his all to Cobra. Yeah. In, uh, in um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, because he was probably like, yeah, that other thing I'm working on has made me a shit villain, so I'm going to be fucking terrifying in this instead. I think Kebble would have made a better read, and I think it would have mm. been a better movie if they'd made him adults. Yeah. Rather than being... Johnny's the like, kid. Yeah, Johnny's the kid of the team. They don't all need to be the same fucking age. Oh, God. Ben especially. Ben needs to be big, and, and, and like Jamie Bell tries his best with his like sort of mm. tough physicality, but he got, he's just he got not... Because he's a very good physical performer, and he, he got... He got yeah, a, he's in he got, very good shape. He got in this, buff for it, but he's not like he, his natural not build is strong. Yeah, he's a sl- he's a slender guy. He's, yeah. It doesn't matter how much fucking working out he does. He's not gonna be big. Yeah, like and Ben Grimm is a is a big like ex military man, mm. and um, you know, it just, they just made Reed kind of a dick. There's a science teacher at the beginning who's a dick to Reed for no reason, despite the fact that Reed is clearly a fucking genius and doing things no one else can do. Well, it's Dan Castellanata. Yeah, yeah. Voicing, uh, using a, a slight tweak of his voice that makes him sound like the blue-haired lawyer he voices on The Simpsons. Yeah, basically. who is a dick. So maybe he yeah. thought he was showing up to a Simpsons recording um, and they played a camera at him and he was like, wait a minute, this isn't what I asked for. <laughs> but the, the, the plot is just, it's nonsensical. There's no action in it. It's... Apart from a scene that was added toward the end. Well, it replaced whatever they had in place originally. What the fuck was the end? But they've also put out at least one action sequence of of the thing doing a combat operation. Oh no! Don't you see a bit of it from afar from helicopter footage? Uh, You see like some some bits and pieces of like like on a screen. This is they're doing like a presentation. Like this is what Subject One has done for us. Cause he's, cause he's you mad. know that thing we were doing about interdimensional travel and finding energy from uh, other energy well, sources? What doing is... We've abandoned that, but hey, look, we've got some freaks. Well, no, because what they're doing is they're using the 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 the, the four, well the three because Reed escaped at this point to then try to turn around to the military and say, look, if you fund us the mm. teleporter again, what we'll do is we'll go to this the, this planet zero and we'll get this stuff that gave him powers and we'll give powers to our military. Oh, for God's yeah. sake! Um, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And that's Tim Blake Nelson, of course, he's the first person to get his head exploded. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, at least at least his head actually grows in some way. In in some it's <laughs> time. Apparently, in early versions of the script, apparently it was Harvey Elder, who later becomes the Mole Man, but then they changed yeah. his name during production. Yeah, I remember when the casting news yeah. came out, it was like, oh, he's Mole Man. Okay, cool. Um, why is the Mole Man a businessman? I don't understand. Don't know. Um, but it's yeah. fucking terrible. Jesus and, Christ. Yeah, there's not really much more to say about it than that. Oh my you've god. Not, you've not seen it, have you? I've seen enough bits to go, this looks like the most drudgy, dull, upsetting take on something. Oh, which I, I associate like, normally with fun. The designs in this adventure. movie, like the designs of the of the costumes, or the containment suits, which I still oh. fucking hate as an idea, they're yeah. so dull. There's nothing. Like, the Fantastic Four uniforms, they've tried to fuck around with them recently, which hasn't quite worked, but like, for the most part, they're fucking iconic and it's one of the things that the last set of films got banged on mm. is those costumes it's like the blue jumpsuit and the gloves and the thing and the big four on the chest that's all you need to do yeah. it's, that, it's that simple do you want to know a big telltale sign of the Marvel movies that you know are going to be something that family will enjoy I don't think that Warner and DC don't um, seem to follow this rule and other studios don't but you know Marvel know that a movie is going to play well to family or summer audiences when shortly before the film comes out and you usually get a preview at like conventions earlier in the year or whatever yeah the toys come out yeah very shortly before like about three or four weeks before you start to see them creeping into the market Mm -hmm. uh, or you'll see them at toy fair or comic-con because you look at that every single one of the movies they've released toys for even for the other companies you go and you see it and you go yeah it was all right it was pretty good well that was great that was amazing the X-Men movies, the Fantastic Four movies, none of that, like... No merchandise. Since Rise of the Silver Surfer, Fox hasn't released any, like, tie-in merch. You didn't know before that. Any they didn't do stuff. any for The Last Stand. Oh, no, there's some action figures. Um, nope. They, was, they did some Marvel Legends. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. A, couple, yeah, a few years after yeah. the movie came out. Yeah, they did, the be, actual... uh, they did Beast, didn't they? Because yeah. that was one of the releases. And, uh, like, the Gene Grey from it. But for the actual movie itself, there was no merchandise. No, none at all. And Fantastic Four didn't get any, and none of the X Men prequels Mm-mm. and pre sequels and all that have had any, Mm-mm. because kids aren't going to enjoy the thing they're putting out, man. Because they're not very good. Like they're just not. They're like they're even more so than the X Men movies, which at least managed. Some of them managed to be pretty good on their own terms. Like the the Wolverine's not terrible. First Class is pretty great. Days of Future Past, excellent. Days of Future Past is wonderful on first viewing. Yeah. And then you think about it. Um, Logan is fucking the. Logan is the star on their Christmas tree. Apocalypse, and, and shit. Deadpool is the um, dairy milk chocolates yeah. hanging off the tree. But even um, even at that, Apocalypse best... is the dirt that they've oh, scooped man, out of bad. the bottom of it's the really pot bad. as they replant a new tree. But those, <laughs> even at their best, those movies have so little of what I love about the X Men in them. Yeah, and this Fantastic Four adaptation goes even further away. Mm. Like it, it is almost unrecognized. It's Fantastic Four in name only, and it's not even fa- it's not even that. It's Fant Four stick. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's, it's... <laughs> Reed... stylized in a way that doesn't make any sense. Reed is never referred to as Mister Fantastic, even as a joke. Sue is never refer- referred to as the Invisible Woman or the Invisible Girl, even mm. as a joke. Johnny is only referred to as the Human Torch by himself. Yeah. As a joke, when they're trying to name the group at the end of the film. The Human Torch and the Torchettes. I've yep. seen that moment, because I was like, yep. that's not even a good joke. No, it is not. Like, oh, God. And the Thing is only referenced as the Thing 
both in, in the military paperwork that you see hmm. in passing, no one says it, and then at the end, Johnny makes a mean-spirited joke about him. Of like two guys, yeah. a girl, and a thing that no one wants. Which would work as a Johnny jab if they'd had any sort of relationship prior to that. There's no relationship well, I, was say, here. I, I was gonna say, like, without a context or scene around it, or them being in a bad mood with each other, a yeah. genuinely bad mood with each other, that even that line is even too nasty for Johnny's like Ben. Yeah, because fucking Johnny and Ben bicker constantly. Mm. But they're still friends. Because they fucking love each they other. Wind like, each they other adore up. each other. They're family. Like, but, it's, yeah. it's Johnny's mission in life to wind Ben up. That's something that the 2000, 2000s movies did yeah. well. Their relationship was done really well. Yeah. And, and, and like, again, going back and reading the early comics, I'm, like, coming towards the end of the second volume of Masterworks now, so I'm on, like, issue 18, 19. Uh, some of that stuff is kind of mean-spirited. But yeah. it it's... One of them's it's a guy got, who's easy yeah. to act quick to anger, and the other one's a shitty little teenager. They've got history, yeah, and they've got really. In this, they have no relationship. Like the first time they meet is the night that they is the night that they go on the thing, and then the like an hour later, they're in a fucking government facility, turning into a rock monster and being on fire. You know what I mean? It's 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 just it's just bollocks, and I'm I'm sad that I've spent so much of this podcast talking about it. So let's talk about something good. Yeah. Do you know what we need right now? What do we need? A standalone, consequenceless <laughs> adventure <laughs> with our two best buds, Rick and Morty, as they head off to Atlantis. Morty? Exactly. <laughs> they head off to the city of Atlantis yeah. to get some merpus. The visuals. Yeah. The visuals of Atlantis in this episode. Minor spoiler alert. That doesn't happen. No. This week's episode of Rick and Morty was titled The Rick Lantis Mix-Up. The synopsis for the episode in most places went along the lines of a standalone adventure where Rick and Morty visit the lost city of Atlantis. Uh, The trailer for the episode in Adult Swim in the States was them at the beginning about to go to Atlantis and a brief shot of them again at the end having got back from Atlantis. Yep. The episode's true title is Tales from the Citadel. And what happens in this is just before they're about to set off on their adventure, another Rick and Morty appear to ask if they'll take part in the census about yep. stuff that's going back on at the Citadel of Ricks, a place we first uh, met in series one. There was an episode where a, a, a renegade Rick was like killing people and doing evil shit, and his teleport uh, gun was uh, the same one, or believed to be the one that belonged to the main Ricks, the yep. M47. So he went. He and Morty went about to try and prove that it's not him by taking down the evil Rick, who was using a dome full of tortured Mortys to uh, power his machinery. Um, and his subservient little eye patch wearing Morty was uh, he was going along with it all. And at the end of that episode, it was a fun one. But that was when we met the Council of Ricks. Yeah, there were more Ricks, and the Ricks were rehoming their more rehoming all the Mortys at the end. Uh, and while they're doing it, they find out that like the evil Rick was a, a robot being controlled by somebody and the camera cuts to the crowd of Morty's leaving and we see the Morty with the eye patch take the eye patch off took some wires under his eye and join the crowd it was like ooh mm-hmm. okay so like there's an evil Morty out there somewhere and there's a bunch of Ricks who like look after lost Mortys and there's like a council of Ricks I mean there's your Fantastic Four connection that's based yeah, on council the council of Reeds, of Reeds. Yeah. Um, from Jonathan Hickman's excellent Fantastic Four run go and fucking read it that's a weird so thought good. that's a weird thought like Based on the name and the fact that the creators of the show, like, are, you know, 
comic readers and stuff. Oh, at least they're aware of comic books. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get the fact that, I didn't get the sense that they love superheroes after the Vindicators episode. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, wouldn't it be hilarious if like this big plot point of, of the world of Rick and Morty was directly inspired by a Fantastic Four? It idea. wouldn't surprise me. That would be amazing. Put it that way. So the Council of Ricks have appeared several times now. The Citadel Ricks, and uh, like uh, they interfered, especially um, at the start of this season. Mm-hmm. Where Rick took down the Galactic Federation Seal and Team Rick. killed yes, Team Rick. and killed the Council of Ricks one yeah. by one um, as revenge for his incarceration and then meddling with it and all this, that and the other. And then he got back home and he's like, right, I've got rid of the Galactic, Galactic Federation. I've killed the Council of Ricks. I'm fucking, I'm the, I'm the best Rick. I'm in charge of this shit. Szechuan Souls, Morty. 100 years Rick and Morty, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this episode starts with him going to Atlantis and then another Rick and Morty show up and ask for a census. Like they take part in suggestions for what they should do now at the Citadel. And they're collecting, they're collecting for charity. Yeah, Citadel rebuilding. Rebuilding, that's it, because they're having their first like election. There's going to be for the first time ever a president of the Citadel. They're electing a Rick to be in charge, and they want to rebuild everything. And then um, Morty's like, "Yeah, this this is the Rick that killed everybody." And they're like, "Oh shit! Oh, uh, right, never mind. Okay, off we go." And off they leave. And then Rick and Morty go to Atlantis. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Okay, here we go. It's me, Riccio. We don't go to Atlantis with Rick and Morty. No, we, <laughs> the, we the viewers go to the Citadel for a 22 short stories about Springfield-esque episode. Oh, man. Where they do... So, um, this is the episode that has reinstilled my faith a bit more. Because I was after... We've been saying mm. I've been after a standalone episode. So this one started with it, and then as soon as it started stating it was going to be a standalone adventure in the story, I was like, what's going on? What's happening? It and then, of course, is deeply it... not a standalone episode. No, it it's, is... it's rich in lore, but it's also just it's such a great sci-fi idea. So many times in science fiction stuff, superhero stuff, we go to an alternate dimension and we see the thing that's specifically connected to our main characters. Yeah. So in this, it's like we see the Council of Ricks and Morty learns briefly in that episode from series one that, you know... Oh, there are, there's like a series of Ricks who decided that they're in charge of everything. And, yeah. And they can punish other Ricks for shit and all this. So that's the top of food chain. But hang on, it's a citadel. Yeah. It's a whole like giant city. It's not just an like, entire a civilization of Ricks and Mortys. So what are they doing here? Do they all just pop in and visit or is there more to it? Well, yeah, it turns out there's more to it. This episode is about the workers. It's about those being educated, the people, the Ricks without Mortys and the Mortys without Ricks and their life. So, like, clearly yeah. some Ricks have died. Their Mortys have been brought back to the Citadel to be schooled and re-educated and taught how to be better Mortys for their Ricks before they're assigned to a new Rick. So this will be a Rick who doesn't have a Morty. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we meet like a, sc- a group of school kids who have a Stand By Me style adventure. They try and find the wishing portal um, and steal fruit from a, a Rick who's made a dedicated life choice to a rural accent. And yeah. Um, <laughs> so all that. Uh, there is... Oh, and also, yeah, take a shot. We got one of the shots from the opening credits. The Lizard Morty climbing out the window. Yes. Hey, take a shot. It only ever happens <laughs> once or twice a series, guys. Take advantage. Take a shot. Um, so there's that. Uh, we have a Rick who works in Simple Rick's Biscuit Factory. Simple Rick. Who gets sick of working really, really hard. And then uh, the Rick who gets the new uh, the promotion to be the new boss is a guy called Cool Rick, who just showed up, but he's Cool Rick. He's Cool Rick! So, yeah, like, he takes revenge on the old boss, and then um, 
tries to escape by taking hostage of the... Oh, God, that's one of the darkest jokes in the show. So Simple Rick's is a tasty biscuit that is basically the Rick equivalent of having something delicious that also reaffirms the greatest joy in life to you in a, yeah. in a, in a form of a snack. Because it's... There's a Rick who never became like a big interdimensional adventurer who looks suspiciously like the Rick from the fake flashback origin. Yeah. Um, so a Rick who didn't become an arsehole, basically. Like, spending time with Beth as a, as a young girl, so like with his daughter, and the joy he feels of being around his infant daughter, he he was then sort of neutralised at that point in his life, brought to this factory, and that memory's replayed through his head again and again, turned into a physical matter that is, that is then mixed into the recipe for the biscuit, so every biscuit tastes like the joy of like playing with your baby daughter for the first time. Simple Ricks. Simple Ricks. He ain't simple because he's stupid. He's simple because he likes the simple things. And now you too can get a taste of that simple pleasure of Simple Rick. It's like, oh my god, this is morbid. Yeah. It's horrible. But um, it gets worse. Oh, Jesus. So we've got... A Rick on the force, the police Rick, so SEAL Team Rick, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the police force that, that deal with the security stuff, uh, who's assigned a new partner. He's all taken aback, because that partner is a slightly portly Morty. Yeah. Who is... He's seen some shit. He's seen some shit. He's sick of shit, and he is dealing in some shit. Like, he's a Morty who violently threatens others for information. Yep. Um, there's one point where they take down a crack den that is basically a... a battered up like junkie Rick and three tattooed Mortys yeah. uh, and he's making um, bootleg portal gun potion for them yeah. and it's like what is this so there's that and he gives no shits but he's on the take from Big Morty like the biggest criminal in, in like essentially the, the sort of the slums like yeah. the, the, the ghetto area Morty Town Morty Town oh my god so there's that and then there's my favourite subplot which is uh, Candidate Morty so the presidents are being, you know, up for election. Candidates are up for election. There's like military, yeah, ex-military Rick and juggler Rick is one of them. <laughs> um, and there's a Rick who looks like the, the rent is too damn high guy. Yeah, which is such a fucking sweet visual gag. Yeah. It's just like, oh my god, he looks like the rent is too damn high. <laughs> Um, but Morty's pushing and the Rick Society and the Rick News is kind of taking the piss out of this Morty and he's like why is it Morty trying to be president and then he gives this beautiful speech where he basically says like there isn't a divide between Rick and Morty he's like we can all coexist and it's all and basically he unites a big portion of the planet yep like based on what we hear about the vote results later just over 50% of them yep. completely buy into what he says <laughs> and it's lovely and his determination's really sweet and his campaign manager's fired by him for not having confidence in him and you're like, oh. And then a deep throat Rick, is the best way to describe him, <laughs> hands him a folder of information in the bar. And the guy's like, oh my god, what have I done? So, meanwhile... Oh my god, this is so good. Um, meanwhile, the Rick who's holding simple Rick hostage... Oh no, no, no. Demand, uh... Don't tell him all about that. Oh no, no. Just keep it to the main plot. You sure? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's fucking beautiful. Because got leave some stuff to be discovered. Uh, okay, fair enough. In fact, fair don't fair. tell him anything else. Okay. Don't tell him anything else. Okay, okay. Let him watch it. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week a bit. We'll talk about no, it next week No, we don't week need to talk about it next week no, a bit. No, we Let will. Let him watch we it. We will. We will. Let we will. Watch because it. I'll spooge everywhere if we don't. And, oh, I've got a, and I've got a feeling that there is a thread we'll have to talk about. Oh, yes. No. On for Let's wait until the yeah. see if this thread comes up again. Yeah. And then we'll touch on it. Oh, my God. It was great. The ending gave yeah. me chills. And it's fucking phenomenal. And then the beautiful post-credits gag 
is the tail end of the adventure we thought we were going to see. Yes. <laughs> Getting yeah. all that mermaid puss! <laughs> oh, Morty. Uh, what did you think, man? I this is my, I think, uh, maybe because I'm on a high from having just seen it and stuff, um, I won't say it's my favourite episode, but like this is definitely one of my favourite oh, yeah. episodes. Oh, yeah, no, of it's, it's one of the best episodes they've done, hands down. Just, like, the depth of the... Um... <laughs> Funny enough, like after shitting on mother, it's real weird that I'm saying on, that I'm saying this, but like the depth of the allegory and, yes. the, and the satire as well. What, what, and they will, they won't admit it. I, like, well, well, like, I, I watched. No, we're just making something silly. Well, I watched. I watched the behind the scenes like feature on Adult Swim's YouTube channel that came out after the episode. Yeah. And in relation to the election thing in particular, um, Dan Harmon said like it was just beautiful coincidence that mm. America and the world is in this specific climate right now, politically, because of 2016 and Americans' election and everything. Um, like, it means that some of the parallels that we're kind of touching on in ours yeah. have a whole different meaning than they did when we sat down to write it. So, and there's obviously stuff in there that they've put in there, and you know, because they want you to think about shit, but they'll never talk, they'll never say it. But I love how they went, yeah, there's stuff that even we didn't plan that you'll now be thinking because of the way the world is. <laughs> it's like, God, you're right. So it's all it's also become a weirdly relevant episode of Rick and Morty. I freaking loved it. The Rick Lantis mix-up. Probably my favourite series, series three episode so far. It's it's really good. It's really, really good. Damn fine. What else is damn fine? Me. Yes. Yeah, I know, I know. And um, Sophia Vergara, she's she's damn fine. She is. She's damn fine. Our fine listeners are even finer, though. Are they? I mean, no. As fine as Sophia Vergara. No, no, none of them are. Fair enough. Um, but they no offence, guys. Us... I just, you know, there's there's, 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 there's there's one, two, three, going all the way up to ten, and then there's Sophia Vergara. And we've got to be realistic, guys. I'm not Sophia Vergara. Short week for emails. Is one of them from Sofia Vergara? No. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, We're all you're, you you're all sevens in my eyes. Before you even throw it my way, I am yeah. not doing that voice. Sofia Vergara. I'm not doing. Oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> what if I? What if I took a spin on it and said Gloria from Modern Family? Because that's also, technically not Sofia Vergara. Also not doing it. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I do need a voice <laughs> for Ian. Okay. Uh, hmm, I'm gonna look around the tap cave, see if anything. Pops for me. Okay. Not necessarily the voice of, but definitely the breathing patterns of Peter Davison, the fifth doctor. After all, Dear Chris and Matt, uh, I haven't seen class and has been officially put in detention. Me and some of your other listeners yeah. decided to torture ourselves. Uh, I'd watch it for the first time and react while they uh, uh, re-watch it. Um, <laughs> we've, we've done the first two episodes. Oh, God. Of course it's still available on iPlayer, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I doubt we will complete it or it will see the light of day. Uh, why did I decide to do this? Uh, I'm now going to shrivel up and die. Hope you guys had a good week. Hopefully I'll be able to rest in peace. Uh, Ian, who wants to die? That was it. A nice and short one. Tell him that he should go off and eat a well-prepared meal. Should eat a well-prepared meal. 
Side note: Have you have you seen Close Make of the Madame yet? I'll bring it up. No, no. There's a, we'll watch it after this. There's you a showed pic- you showed a little bit. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played you a little bit of the track. A little, like a, a little tease. Yeah, it's, it's worth watching simply because there's a Peter Davison breathing gang that is absolutely fantastic. It keeps um, popping up, and I keep meaning to watch it, but I just keep forgetting. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, uh, I don't know why you guys are putting yourself through this. We did it so you don't have to. But uh, I'll be honest, it's pleasantly cathartic to know other people are feeling our pain. And yeah, I know we said we'd never bring up this fucking thing ever again. But I think it's worth noting, this past week, Damien Cavanagh had a BBC Three officially announced, class is gone. Class is dead. It's not coming back. Because um, it was shit. And, and no one watched it. No one well, watched it well, for the thing, two course, reasons. The reaction has been very quiet to this news. Yeah. But it has mostly been people who loved it going, well, this is what happens when you don't give it an actual airing. And it's like, guys, it got a BBC One airing. It yeah. Get well, this is what happens when you don't advertise it properly. Who are we supposed to advertise it to? It's a Certificate 18 sci-fi show. About school kids? About school kids. Like, we can't right. advertise that like it was a fucking big franchise. Like, it basically, its entire watch. audience basically consists of kids who watch stuff that they shouldn't and Catholic priests. Like, <laughs> what? What do you what do you want? What do you want from BBC? Like to prey on on poor on on poor Polish six formers. Yeah, um, yeah. We just it's no, it didn't do well, guys, because it wasn't good. If it was genuinely brilliant, word of mouth would have kept it alive. But word of mouth, apart from a very rabid, small, loud fan base, was this isn't very good. Same in America. In BBC America, it underperformed terribly. And it wasn't a time slot thing, guys, because it was on immediately after Doctor Who. Like, its audience was there with the ta- channel switched on. And according to, like, the you know, the Bob ratings and everything, for both the BBC One Repeats and the BBC America showings, about five, ten minutes into the first one, people went, nah, and tuned out. Yeah. So there you go. It's dead. It's not coming back. Enjoy your three books and your DVD box set. He's dead, all right? He's dead and he's not coming back. You're not going to see him again. Um, <laughs> give me Please a... never deliver bad news to anyone. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> your house burnt down and then the flames shot the dog. <laughs> and then tore up your tickets to Disneyland. <laughs> By the way, I got the test results back. I definitely have breast cancer. Um... <laughs> Uh, that part would have been immensely improved um, had she delivered it like that. <laughs> give me a voice for Luke. Johnny doesn't drink. Um, give me a voice for the ginger Luke. Uh, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, big damn cast. I thought I'd speak of a funny comeback that I gave some people who insulted me for liking Doctor Who. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Them. What are you gonna do? Use your sonic screwdriver on us? <laughs> Me? No, sorry, it doesn't work on wood. <laughs> okay, that is admittedly that is quite a good comeback. I mean, it's very dependent on them using the line you in the first place. So that was that was nice of them. That was. <laughs> it's good of them to set you up for you yeah. to knock them down. <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to ten, what is your favorite color of the alphabet? Favorite what? Color of the alphabet. What? What? Um, seven. Uh, 9CC49. Cool. Um, what is your favourite verb and why? Uh, 
is it stupid that in that moment my brain went, wait, which one's verb? Verbs <laughs> a doing word, Christopher. Get it right. Uh, masticate. Oh. Masticate. Nice. Which means to chew. And I like it because it sounds dirty, but it isn't. Defecate. Uh, simply because it sounds more grand and important than I'm having a shit. You know, you know which one <laughs> I really like? Yeah. Defenestrate. Defenestrate. Because it, you know why? Why? Because it's really specific. <laughs> to, to be defenestrated yeah. is to be thrown out of a window. That's very specific. No, defenestrate. Today's show is brought by, brought to you by the letter D and the word defenestrate. The nation's number one defenestration station. <laughs> um, <laughs> Miranda, Gavin, and Stacy. <laughs> uh, oh, Gavin and Stacy, I can't stand Miranda. I enjoyed the two or three episodes of Gavin and Stacy I watched. I. I, I'm, I didn't need to see any more personally. Yeah. It didn't resonate with me, but um, and I mean, it t- you take Ruth Jones away from yes. Matthew Horn and James Corden, yes. and, and they, they proved that they have, they can't do shit. Um, I love how America is only now hating James Corden after he like had some chummy pictures with Sean Spicer at the Emmys after party. Yeah, that and it's whole like, thing was it's a bit... like yeah. There's a whole big pool of us here in the UK that already dislike him, yeah. so that's fine. Side note: um, my favorite James Corden insult ever was a Stuart Lee joke. Or like Stuart Lee hates James Corden. Yeah. And James Corden's a big Stuart Lee fan, and that gives him great pleasure. Oh. Um, he said uh, in his last late series of Comedy Vehicles, he said, James Corden, eh? Well, Great Britain's loss is America's loss. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. Um, what other questions should I ask you? Is that a question? Yeah. Um... How'd it get burned? Ah, I've got one. Oh. <laughs> what is favourite verb and why? Wait, that... You, you've already... Bye! Do you know what I love about this? The ginger loop. That voice accidentally fit that perfectly. <laughs> There's nothing accidental about it, old son. I'm just that fucking good. Do you know what you are? You're a disaster artist. I am a professional voiceover artiste. Don't worry, he'll always be with us in our memories. My name is Stephen Toast, and I watched Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landings. <laughs> you can find out about other, <laughs> other anecdotes and more throughout the week, guys. If you hit us up on Twitter, at BigDamnCast. You can also read weekly articles on the popular cultures at BigDamnBlog.tumblr.com. You can also do a little bit of a fiddle on a griddle and subscribe to our YouTube channel Big Damn Channel whenever you fancy uh, should you fancy oh, oh look I'm Ben from What Culture I've got some I'm definitely not imitating Matt Berry I've got some pickled onions that need unscrewing Mrs. Purchase <laughs> if you're going to imitate Matt Berry just be blatant about it don't like try mm. and push it Very I just true. I will just blatantly imitate Matt Berry while quoting from Toast of London Let's end on a Matt Berry-esque noise. No! I need to use your toilet facilities. Trains in the station. <laughs> I'm losing my bloody eyesight. <laughs>